Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to the Fly Pass podcast. I'm Hans from Kiero, and this week I'm joined by the guys from the Vintage Pair Display team. So we've got uh, John Higgins and uh, David Pettis. Hi, John. Hello. Thank you for inviting and, us. Oh, no, thanks Thanks for coming. And, uh, hi, hi, David. Good, uh, good day. And uh, yeah, once again, thanks for joining us. Is it, okay, let, let's just get this out of the way. Is it David or Dave? How else should we, um, you know, we like yeah. to be quite informal on the, on the Fly Pass podcast. You can refer to me in any way you wish. I answer most uh, things. <laughs> I'll remind you of that in, a, in, in about twenty-five minutes. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, welcome to the Fly Pass podcast. How's it all? How's it all going? How's life? How's life been in you know lockdown and all that kind of thing? There's been a definite lack of flying in lockdown. That's for sure. Um, last time I flew anything was on the eleventh of December, and that was that was for work purposes. <laughs> how how have you found that as uh, as pilots not being able to fly? Frustrating. Yeah. Good description. <laughs> Clearly, we understand the reasons behind it, which, um, yeah, so, it's, yeah, it's just one of those things, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. But, I mean, it, it doesn't make it any, 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 less, any less frustrating for you, does it? Because it's what, this is what you love to do, isn't it? So, you know, if that's sort of taken away, it, uh, it, makes, it makes sort of life quite difficult. And, and, and also, you know, people love, you know, in, in the summer months, people love air shows and stuff. And I think it's been, been a hard few months, um, you know, for, for, for everyone. So we'll, we'll no doubt come on to that. Can I just also say that, uh, just apologise up front if um, this is being recorded in the Easter holidays. So apologies if a child bursts in and sort of, you know, <laughs> demands a snack or something, you know, similarly banal. But, you know, we're just going to have to roll with that, I'm afraid. <laughs> so, so go, I've got mine in the cupboard, they're fine. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I've, I've just done the, I've just done the same, but you might hear some occasional sort of, you know, muffled YouTube, uh, you know, videos playing in the background. But anyway, but, so, uh, you know, for those listening who might not know, tell us a bit um, about um, your flying history, guys. Uh, right. Go ahead, John. You can go with yours. Oh, put me on the spot first. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah. So I learned to fly on the De Havilland Shipment from scratch um, under the tutelage of Charlie Brown, um, who I'm sure some of you may know um, from kind of Spitfire world. So it's kind of, yeah, just a very much a look thing all the way along, you know. So my main book of my training was under IF College Cranwell Flying Club, but out of IF Sciston. Uh, then I kind of went straight into display flying straight afterwards. So I had, I think, my PPL about a year and got into display flying, which was kind of the route I always wished to take. And been display flying the chipmunk for about 10 years now. Just over. Wow. What about you, Dave? Uh, I, I put my my flying career firmly at the, the, the feet of my grandfather. Um, he took me flying... Um, on the pleasure flight with Classic Wings when I was five at Duxford. And since then, I've been bitten by the bug. It's what I always wanted to do. Uh, at the age of 12 onwards, I started my flight training. Uh, they, they said at the flying school, as soon as you can reach the rudder pedals, you, you can go. So throughout my teens, I worked towards my PPL, uh, solo at 16 and licensed by 17. And then uh, in a mad moment, I took out an enormous loan and did my airline transport license and uh, became an airline pilot at 21. So, uh, yeah, flying goes back quite a long way. Uh, initially, it was all uh, tricycle stuff, obviously building up towards the, the airlines. Uh, I was a captain by the time I was 26 on the 737. Uh, and uh, shortly after getting my, my shiny new license, I started talking to Warbird operators and talking to them about how I might 
make that progression because that's what I'd always wanted to fly to get into the, the, the big V12 fighters and uh, ended up volunteering for historic aircraft collection as a ground crew member and uh, started flying Tiger Moths, Chipmunks and the Harvard um, since then. And um, so how did the uh, vintage pair display team um, come about for you two? Well, I've been displaying, say, for probably, what, eight years? So, like with the chipmunk at that stage, and I was a member also of the Historic Aircraft Collection, um, clearly through Charlie, and basically met David through that. Um, did some formation flying with David as he was getting to grips with formation flying, which Charlie was doing with him. And, well, David got his display license, and it just seemed a natural kind of progression. We seem to work well together uh, as, as ground crew, certainly. And uh, as John says, he was actually my my leader for my very first display, uh, not display, my very first formation flight. Um, Charlie doing the initial training with us, and uh, John pro- providing a smooth lead for that. Smoothish. <laughs> smooth <laughs> enough. What, what sort of um, what sort of training um, and advice um, did Charlie give you? Heaps of it. Um, Charlie is is uh, is an absolute guru with 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 this this type of flying. So he, and he explains it in a very uh, practical and simple fashion, which I think suits John and I because simple is is probably what we need. Um, <laughs> but it's it's always I think it's always to the point. There's never a minute wasted in the air. Once you're with that aeroplane, it's, it's business and, and get down to learning. But it's in a very relaxed fashion. I think John would agree with that. Yeah, um, clearly. Doing all my PPL with Charlie, clearly we've gained a good rapport of how we go about things over all these years. And Charlie has this way of instilling confidence, but in a very quiet, um, unassuming manner. And uh, yeah, he he always takes your advice on board, which is surprising <laughs> considering his experience. He will listen to you and go, actually, that's a good idea. And run with it which is very nice and it's again that instills confidence in you because you think oh, okay I'm not that crazy I come up with half decent suggestions once in a while <laughs> I mean for anyone who doesn't um, know who uh, you know or is not that familiar with um, Charlie Brown so he he has recorded, I think, you know, well in excess of fifteen hundred hours in, in in the Spitfire, hasn't he? And he is—he's he, an absolute kind of legend, isn't he? He's, if you if you went up to someone in the street and said, "Describe to me what you think a Spitfire pilot would be like," I, you know, they would they would describe him exactly, wouldn't they? Everything, you know, from from the kind of cool tash to you know just the sound of his voice and like the way you know the way he speaks. He's such. Um, He's such uh, a, a lovely guy, isn't he? And uh, what an what an amazing person to um, to be taught to fly by, John. Yeah, I guess um, as you're saying, a true gentleman through and through. You know, so even outside of flying, you know, we catch up and either tinker with old cars or just go for breakfast. And all the time, you know, it's I gotta say, it's just a privilege to have been taught to fly by him and I guess a bigger privilege to become friends out of that, you know. It's odd throughout my PPL training to turn up at an airfield and it would be like playing neck, it's Charlie Brown. To me, it's just Charlie, you know. It's kind of odd. And what, Charlie's what, never heard that assuming either as of that. Yeah. What's, what's, the, what's the best single bit of advice Charlie Brown's ever given you guys? Oh, there's so much um, brilliant bits of advice all the way along. But I guess if there was one thing to take forward is just simply always just fly the plane. 
Uh, there's never anything just so simple as whatever happens, just fly the aircraft in any circumstance. So, so let's talk a bit more in a bit more detail then about um, the vintage pair display team. So, how do you kind of how do you plan and you know choreograph what you're going to do? Vintage pair display team itself has has a, a set routine. Um, so, when John and I were discussing what we might want to do with the chipmunks, we obviously have various limitations on the aeroplanes, um, especially the RAF aeroplanes with, with fatigue lives on the wings and so on. Uh, so the initial ideas of, of a nice aerobatic display had to be pared down somewhat uh, just to keep the uh, the fatigue levels uh, sensible. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with what we'd like to call a, a, a dynamic but flat non-aerobatic display. So uh, we, we, we sat down in, in the crew room at, at the airfield where John operates and just drew out some figures, didn't we, on, on a piece of paper and merged them together. And John John got the bones of what we wanted to do and we discussed how that might work and ended up uh, drawing the, the routine to start with and then walking around outside looking like fools, following <laughs> each other around outside in, on, the, on the grass. It don't take much to make us look like fools, to be honest. But. <laughs> That's right. So. I, I think what you're referring to there, um, uh, Dave, and, and I think I saw this... Um, Last summer at Headcorns, I don't know whether you remember when when the world opened up for three weeks. You know, um, so obviously, um, Era Legends uh, managed to you know uh, have have a have a weekend, and Charlie Brown and Nancy Parkinson's were there uh, were, were there doing um, their sort of display in the Spitfires, and I I was. I was watching them. He was kind of um, the the two of them were walking around outside. So Charlie was leading, and I'll try and describe this the best I can, but. Charlie was kind of essentially walking around what looked like in sort of, you know, in kind of like, you know, circles and figures of eight. And he was using both hands to sort of, you know, you know, as if he was kind of flying, you know, like a, a, the, the shapes a child would make if they were kind of like, you know, flying a plane with their hands. And this is what he was doing, you know, swooping in and out. And Anthony Parkinson was following him. And I was, I was, I was looking at it, I was thinking, if that is how th- th- this stuff is planned, that is amazing, you know, um, but then I suppose it does make sense, doesn't it? I mean, you, it's hard to sort of, you know, draw it out on on, 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 on paper in a way, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's all about visualisation. So as you say, drawing it on paper, you've got some lines on a piece of paper. Um, whereas what, what you're describing with the hands, I always like to uh, describe to people as what the fighter pilots always tend to do in the films. I was there behind Jerry and putting the hands in and showing where they were in relation to different things. Uh, and that just gives you that 3D element. So as you're walking around on the grass, you're saying, okay, so we're going to pull up into a left turn. You angle your hands up or, or maybe lean into the turn or, or nod your head that way, or you, you twist your body. And some people do the flight controls instead. You might see them walking around with their hands out and moving their hands around as they're stirring porridge. So some people do it as if they're doing the flight controls themselves. So left turn, they push their hand over to the left and pull back. And so it's, 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 a, it's an overemphasized uh, um choreography of what you're going to be doing in the cockpit in that case and what might I expect to see and I think following each other around you, you should see it at all the air shows with a formation team Duxford especially if you're watching the flight line when a team's about to go up you might see all the pilots congregating behind the airplanes out of sight and then walking around in circles it's, um, it's a standard procedure for formation flight really if you've never seen it before I suppose it looks so you know you know the rudimentary in a in a way, but then I suppose it you know as you're sort of as you're saying you know visualizing this stuff is is the key. So that is I suppose how you how you would do, isn't it? I mean, when when you're kind of um so when you're up in the air, what are the challenges of um of doing this? 
in truth, uh, you should almost have everything stowed away on the ground. So in flight, there shouldn't be, how can I put, any unforeseen challenges. That's what you want to try to eliminate. So challenges could be more hopefully put down just to the actual venue potentially itself and the weather conditions. So, for example, if there's non crowd wind, it's going to push you around in a different slight manner. But as to the actual routine, that shouldn't take you by surprise at any given point. Yeah, mm-hmm. you should you should know where you are in the routine at any time. You, you know, even if there is a distraction, you, you you need to know where you are in that routine and what the other guy's about to do. Um, it's hard to describe it. I mean, it's it's a focus. It's it's a certain type of focus where you're at one with the aeroplane. You should know your aeroplane well enough to just just fly it. It just happens. You can feel what the aeroplane is telling you. You, you know, the different power settings, different speeds. You feel that rather than look at it. So if you're sat on the wing, for example, John and I share the lead. So for one show, I might be leading the other show, John might be. When you're on the wing, we're not looking at any of the instrumentation as such. It glances every so often when you can at the old temperatures and pressures, the essential things. But you're feeling airspeed, you're feeling the sensation through the stick on how the aeroplane's responding. And you know from experience where that airspeed is. So you're not worried about things like that. So you can focus 99% of your attention on on the formation leader in that case. Yeah, as David's saying, you can hear the sound as well as the engine, so you can hear that power change, so you know where you are in that kind of um, power range. And also with the thing of sharing the lead and the wing, is me and David then get a very good um, uh, appreciation for what each of the need from that bit of the flying. You know, from that bit of formation, we know, okay, David's going to be struggling on the outside of the turn here, so I may just want to keep an eye on if he's starting to lag back so i may take a bit of power off here just to help them out yeah okay and so how close do you how close do you get to each other well at the minute we're locked out it's probably uh <laughs> <Lancashire> and cambridgeshire <laughs> you know up um, in the air how close do you normally, get normally normally what are we? We, we we don't overlap we never want the airplanes to overlap as such so the wing tips i think is somewhere between five and ten feet on average i would say hmm. um it so, also so, depends on the weather conditions you know if we have a nice gin smooth day you're going to be tighter than you are on a bumpy day it's just mm-hmm. it's a comfort factor you know it's where you feel comfortable on said weather conditions but of course, also depends on on the figure you're flying as well. I mean, a, a very nice tight echelon uh, flyby might just look like one aeroplane to the camera. So you might want to to have a slight tilt on that and just stretch it back a little bit so it looks to the observer to be a nicer shape formation rather than two aeroplanes on top of each other from from their perspective. So, so sometimes it's fudging the angles a little bit, as as Charlie once said to us. You've got to fudge the angles a bit. Just so it, it looks like it's, uh, it is what it isn't. <laughs> yeah, it's like if you're coming head on at the um, crowd, for example, in one of our breaks, uh, you can't see the forward back motion because all you're seeing is the head on. So you can sit further back but look like you're overlapping, but there's a good distance between forward and back of you. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, but I suppose when you say you know, you know, if you're you know, if you're five foot. Or five feet away uh, from from another plane. I mean, that is that is pretty close. I mean, you know, you got to be concentrating there, haven't you? You have, but I think anyone who's flown formation uh, will realise that it's all about the relative motion as well. So once you're once you're in the formation, so getting in is obviously a little bit tricky. And you, you slide in that last twenty feet nice and slowly and, and, and anchor yourself in. 
once you're there, it's all down to relative motion. So as long as the leader is being uh, predictable, uh, you can you can stay there because it's all about that relative motion. So if he's doing two or three knots faster, you see that as a movement forward and you can adjust it. So you're not doing everything at 120 knots. It's all it's all relative motion. So it's not so hard as long as everything is um, smoothly done. And I think Charlie once said in the in the formation training and, and leading up to my DA, he says, when you're leading, if you can make the all entries to a manoeuvre as a leader should be soft. So the wingman has an idea of what's coming. So if, if you're not on the radio, if I want to make a right turn, I ease into the turn gently so the wingman can see my movement. He tweaks that, starts his movement, then you can increase the bank angle faster. You can increase yeah. the rate of change. As David's saying, smooth in, smooth out. Yeah. How, how much does it help um, to to really, really know what, you know, the, the characteristics of each other's flying? Well, I think um, me and David kind of get on very well together and we seem to have a sixth sense of what each other is kind of up to in that sense. So it kind of works and clears. A lot of training goes in. During lockdown, for example, we've been doing a lot of flights and flying, you know, in virtual reality, keeping tabs on what we've been up to. So it's never really fully stopped for us uh, training, mm-hmm. even during all of this. I think the, the key element, sorry, the key element there is is uh, you have to know who you're flying with. It, it would be foolhardy, I think, to just jump into a formation with somebody you didn't know, or you certainly didn't know the quality of. Um, so... As a flying instructor, I'm often asked, oh, can we go for formation flights? Have you got any experience and do we need to build you up to it? Because there's no actual rating in in the UK for formation flying. Anybody can do it. But there's so much involved in formation flying that you'd be foolhardy to uh, to just drop into a formation and give it a go. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. Uh, people who say they can formation fly, but there's also formation flying and there's formation flying, you know. As Charlie would say, you know, same way, same day type stuff. Or actually, there's two places in formation. I think, as he famously said, there's in and there's out. And, you know, you want to be in. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, now, um, let's talk a bit about the chipmunk. So I think we've got the 75th anniversary of uh, the chipmunk coming up in um, May. And um, it's, a, it's a great little aeroplane, isn't it? Oh, it is. And the one I fly um, 308 is 70 this year, so it's built in 951. So that's coming up to its own kind of anniversary in that sense. Uh, the Chipmunk I fly was bought by my late uncle, who inspired me to fly, um, Bill Higgins. And so it's kind of rather nice that kind of, kind of to keep that flying kind of a bit in his memory. And clearly all my uh, association with learning to fly on it, but also been delving into its past history because it's at IF Cranwell, IF Newton. It's one of the last chipmunks in IF service. Um, I flew in it with squadron leader Bill Purchase, who did the round-the-world flight. So the chipmunk, for me, is a lot of my flying. And as you say, it's a super aeroplane. It has very little vice. It's a perfect trainer. It will show up your inadequacies, but in a kind of benign way, enough so that a uh, instructor could catch it. But nonetheless, it will bite if you kind of prod it enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. as, a, as a trading aeroplane, it is very good on, on that regard. If you compare it to the Cessna 152s, 172s, that a lot of the flying schools use, they are very benign. Uh, the chipmunk will show you or, or demonstrate very well things like adverse aileron on your um, it, will, it will demonstrate 
a wing drop in the stalls and all sorts of things like that. And it actually shows you to the student pilot relatively, uh, relatively violently. But as John says, always in a manner that the instructor with the experience can catch it. It's a lovely aeroplane to fly. Um, of the light aeroplanes I've flown, it probably really is the nicest. It's, it's such a, a joy to fly, very well harmonized. Um, yeah, you think it and it does it. You, 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 look, you look to the left, it's probably going to fly to the left if that's the way you want it to go. It's, it's lovely. <laughs> yeah, I learned to fly on it, so it's kind of second nature to me. It's the airplane I know. You know, it's kind of home. You know, when you are strapped into that airplane, it, yeah, you just feel like you're getting into that comfy armchair that you kind of know and kind of love, you know, so... When people ask me, oh, tailwheel, you know, this whole thing about tailwheel, well, I learned to fly on tailwheels. So, you know, the obviously for me is a nosewheel airplane. I have to do a conversion onto a nosewheel for, and I've only flown one for a couple of hours. So it's kind of like, yeah, this is weird. You know, the wheel's in the wrong place. So, you know, it's each their own of what they know. But the chipmunk is so wonderful. Again, people whinge about the lack of power. It's just a trait of it. And, it does what it needs to as a trainer, but yeah, display flying. Yeah. Everyone wants more power, but there you are. So <laughs> the chipmunk was a quantum leap from the tiger moth though. Uh, I'm unfortunate to fly a tiger moth with, with classic wings and have flown with the tiger club in the past. Um, and that is, that is hard work, you know, open cockpit and, and lots of adverse, you lots of almost world war one traits, you know, 1920s traits to an airplane that, that flies around the sky. The chipmunk, on the other hand, seems to have ironed out all the undesired parts of the Tiger Moth flight envelope and has, has made it a very nice flying machine. As, as, as a trainer, it really is a fantastic machine. And, yeah, and uh, I suppose at, Sorry. Go on, uh, sorry no, go on. Uh, no, no, I was going to say, if you look at, for example, the other end of the spectrum, because you've got such a good rapport with the Air Cadets as well, who operated the type for many, many years. If you look at their other training airplane, which was the Venture motor glider, uh, which I've been fortunate to have a go at flying. You can see from just flying that why the air cadets love the chipmunk because the venture adverse aileron yoy just does everything kind of <laughs> horribly. You know, it's like stone porridge. You know, it's a nice airplane to bundle around in, but it will. It just does not handle like a chipmunk. You know, it, adverse aileron yoy will. You need a lot of rudder to keep it flying. It's slow. But again, it's a different experience. You know, nothing beats flying around at 500 feet in a venture. You know, it's kind of quite nice. You know, a friend of mine took me up in his and I enjoyed it. But it's no chipmunk. Uh, I mean, I suppose, yeah, like, like you're saying, many thousands of pilots have got their wings in a, in a chipmunk, haven't they? And like, you know, just as many air cadets, you know, have had their first taste of flight in it. And I'm always quite amazed, actually. And this goes back to speaking to... Charlie Brown and Anthony Parkinson about something like the Spitfire, you know, was something something that is designed quite a long time ago, you know, is still such a, you know, such a nice aeroplane to fly now. And I think every every single person you speak to about, you know, the chipmunk, okay, they might say, like, as you've just said, it's not the fastest or whatever it is, but everyone is very, very complimentary about what a great aircraft it is to fly, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't get the moniker the poor man Spitfire for for no reason, I think. And as as Charlie said to both of us on numerous occasions, yeah, close your eyes and you probably can't tell the difference between a Spitfire, the baby Spitfires, and and the, and the chipmunk, apart from the noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the thing is though, you I've had the fortune of having to go in, say, the modern day tutor, and it just does not handle as nice again. You know, the chipmunk's responsive. It feels very much that you move that control, that 
couple of millimetre and it, you know, does something. In the tutor, it don't. So, yeah, the tutor's quicker, it's longer range, but it don't handle as nice. So I think it definitely has earned its place. And the Havilland's has clearly always seems to have, you know, produced fine aircraft from that kind of stable, you know. If you go back to the Mosquito, you know, beyond, it's their, their kind of lineup of aircraft is legendary. And clearly last year was the 200th anniversary of that company. And just a shame it's kind of merged and they don't produce anything anymore because it would be interesting to see what they would produce a modern day trainer. Yeah, not, not yeah. quite 200, John. Not quite 200. <laughs> not yeah. 100. Yeah, 200. 100, yeah. Out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, playing out. <laughs> So, um, where, so when and where can um, can we see the vintage pair display team next? That's a very good question. Um, it all depends on what happens with with lockdown uh, and restrictions over this year. Uh, we we do have some bookings in. I think we have at the moment uh, six displays in the books, but we uh, we also have a policy that we we tend not to announce where we're going until the show itself has announced us. I mean that that. Right. It's the prerogative, really, of an airshow organizer to uh, tease the public with with their their airshow bookings as and when they wish. So, at the moment, we haven't yet been announced officially by anybody, but we do have some bookings in. So, um, you can expect to see us around and about, um, quite quite possibly in Bedfordshire for uh, one of the, the the big anniversary events this year. So. We'll oh, see God, it's, it's the intrigue. It's like, you know, it's like I'm trying to locate some sort of underground rave. Absolutely. I don't know where it's going to be. It's- <laughs> keep, keep an eye on Facebook. Vintage Pair has a Facebook page and we will be publicizing where we're going as soon as we, we can from, from the organizer's perspective. So those things will go out there and keep an eye on the air show review pages and, and various shows around and about. But uh, I do plan to, to, to go to the 75th anniversary um which is more of a fly-in than an air show. That's going to be held on, uh, what was that, 22nd of May, I think it is. At, uh, I believe it's around that date, yes. Yeah. It's a Saturday anyway, some, somewhere around about then, uh, yeah. where they're hoping to get as many chipmunks together as they possibly can uh, to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the aeroplane. So uh, we, 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 I will certainly be there. Um, hopefully we'll be flying in as the pair for that one, but we'll see... What happens? That's not an official show. I must say that it's just a fly-in. But we do have six uh, six bookings at the time for the time being. Which, considering the year we've had, and I think we could well have, isn't too bad. Yeah, in truth, at the minute we're clearly not. We've got the shows there, but when clearly until we know what happens in the wider world, you know, we're not trying to get too excited about them. You know, clearly there's some hopefully exciting shows that we look forward to being at, but there's no point. You know, we try not to get too excited just in case. You know. I think we've all been through yeah. that, you know, kind of get excited and then misery kind of bit um, yeah. over the last year. <laughs> so, if you, coronavirus you know, has taught us anything, it's don't get excited. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Don't, don't have plans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, actually, so when was the last time uh, each of you flew a chipmunk? My last Ooh. chipmunk flight was the 3rd of November as an instructional flight up at Finland. Yeah, mine was January. End of January this year, I did a 20-minute um, engine maintenance flight on it just to keep it all above board. It was nice to kind of get back to it. And 
you're clearly itching to get back in it. Mm, no, absolutely. Well, I think, look, I mean, you know, I think everyone is, you know, absolutely sort of hoping and praying that we can get back to, you know, some shows and uh, see, you know, see the things that, you know, we all love this, this summer. Cause you do, you, I'll tell you what, you really, really do notice it, don't you? When it's, um, when it's taken away from you, and it must be difficult for, 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 for you pilots as well, um, as it is for the, the enthusiasts. Oh, very much so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's our passion. We we love to to go out and fly these airplanes and, and display them for the public, and to uh, to have the air shows not there for for a whole season almost. It's just, it just seems very strange. It's yeah, yeah. I think we're as much willing to get back to it as any of the public. You know, it's you know we're the people, me and David, who would be behind the fence watching these shows. You know, and have been. So we're as much as you know, anyone else kind of, you know, into aviation, you know, I remember as a kid standing behind the fence at Duxford, watching airplanes and all, and of course, David, I was, it was a pleasure to be part of David's first show at, uh, you know, flying formation with him at Duxford, and that was my first Duxford, so that was unique to say, after all those years stood behind the fence, you know, so those air shows have been a part of our lives, so yeah, we've had a year missed, but hopefully it'll make things all the sweeter once we get back to it. That, that was a fantastic day as well. The, the, we, we, we displayed, uh, my, my very first display was at uh, the Duxford May Air Show in um, 2018. Uh, and shout out there probably has to go to, to Howard Cook and, and the four chip formation he put together to get John, uh, Paul Green and myself our first displays at Duxford. So we flew around as a four ship and as your very first display ever to be on that hallowed turf of Duxford for an air show. It's quite, quite a spectacular two days flying around for the public at Duxford. And I've been behind that fence at Duxford since oh, six years old. I think my granddad used to take me every year to Flying Legends and the various uh, September and October shows when they used to do them there as well. We used to go to pretty much all the shows from when I was knee high, right the way mm-hmm. up through uh, even to present day. If, if, if I'm not booked to fly that day, I'll still go to Duxford for an air show. Uh, I even live across the road. I live, I live behind Hangar 2 at Duxford. So. I was going to say you don't have a long walk, so <laughs> not sure if you're not there, you shouldn't. Short commute. <laughs> well look guys look thank you so much for um for for coming on see look i told you half an hour just goes like that doesn't it, it does doesn't it absolutely yeah, um, yeah. May, may i just uh put a shout out to our, our very kind sponsor strong parachutes they, they they were very very kind to uh jump on board right at the beginning of the team the vintage pair in in 2018 uh and they've been looking after us very well uh ever since so we are sponsored by strong parachutes and they're amazing people. Uh, yeah, they're, they're absolutely wonderful. And, you know, to entrust was, you know, clearly getting on board, as David said, in the first year was incredible and a really good boost to us. So, no, all shout outs to them and a brilliant product as well. You know, we're not saying that because we're sponsored by them. You know, David had a strong shoot before, you know, we got sponsorship. And I got to say, I wish I had one and say, they came on board and yeah, best thing, you know, absolutely brilliant. So. You can pl- you can you can put a shout out to whoever you like on here. It's not the BBC. Excellent. It's absolutely fine. So if anyone wants a strong parachute, please get in touch. We we can yeah. do uh, we can do you a deal. Yeah. Oh, excellent. There we go. Look, it's like it's turned into an e-commerce podcast. Great. Exactly. <laughs> well, look, guys, um, thank you very much. Well, I hope we really really hope to see you this summer doing what you do best. Yeah, and we hope to see you and any if anyone um, wants to chat with us. You know, we're always. Um, willing you know wish to meet with the crowd it's wonderful when we get people coming over and said i flew in them as air cadets you know or even more so i flew in that one as an air cadet you know 
so yeah, if you see us, do come and chat. Okay, if we're rushing to display, you know, we may be a bit busy, but otherwise, yeah, please do come and chat with us. And if you, need, if you need a chipmunk fix before the air shows, uh, pop up to Fenland. I'll be flying that around quite a lot from uh, from, from the 12th of April doing tailwheel conversions and uh, air experience flights up there. So Fenland Airfield is, is where I'm based and it'll be a very busy aeroplane from, from uh, middle of April onwards. Excellent. Well, look, um, thank you very much for your time, guys. Uh, we'll see you see you hopefully this summer. And uh, yeah, thanks uh, to everyone for, uh, for listening. See you again next week. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.